Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Bad Beats episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary worst deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, the one-stop shop for everything uh, tax, real estate, and business for real estate investors. I have a good friend of mine here, Clayton Morris, here today. Um, I'm so excited to have him on the show, everybody. Uh, He does phenomenal work. Um, an, an entrepreneur and a man that is inspiring people all over the country and to creating financial freedom for themselves. Clayton, thank you for so much for coming on the show. And for anybody that doesn't know you, um, and we're going to be talking about uh, one of his, his bad deals uh, and what it's like to be Clayton being, going through that bad deal so we can learn from you know, uh, his experience doing that. And what, do, what do people need to know about you, Clayton, to get a background for um, what is it like to be you and, and what's kind of setting the stage of what that's like to, to get into that kind of deal in this kind of situation? Sure. I mean, just a little background on me. I kind of grew up, I grew up with a lot of negative associations with money in my family. You know, uh, money doesn't grow on trees. We're not the Rockefellers. You know, we can't afford that. So I had all these sort of negative associations with money and thought that the, the performing assets that you buy in your life or the house you live in and a 401k plan, you know, I really grew up with that mentality. Uh, as I, and I started out my career in the, in the television world as a broadcaster. So uh, working and worked my way up across the country and was going further, further into debt. And then finally landed, you know, the big network job uh, for Fox News Channel a number of years ago and spent 10 years uh, on the number one morning show in the country. Uh, but, you know, I had lost my job before that. I, uh, years before that, I had lost my job at a station. They just didn't renew my contract not because I did anything wrong, but just that they wanted to move in a different direction. And you're only as good as your next paycheck when you're working for a paycheck. And I vowed then that I was going to build something that would protect me, take care of me, produce cash flow for me, where I didn't have to rely on a paycheck. And that's where real estate investing uh, started for me, was right then. That's phenomenal. Um, I, I think that's like the 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 story I think that a, that a lot of people can resonate with because it's uh, it's a story about, you know, really taking charge and saying that like I own my life, I'm in control of actually the way the rules that I'm willing to live by. That's not, I'm not going to allow other people to dictate that. And, and is that a difficult transition for, um, for somebody that's raised with the types of like internal belief systems that oh, yeah, are for sure. your family? Yeah. yeah. Because they're golden handcuffs. You know, there's this misperception. I don't know how you were raised in this way, but I mean, most people were, and they were, they're taught to believe that that paycheck is a safety net, right? That your W-2 paycheck, your health benefits, that that is your safety net. When in fact, for most people, it's actually holding them back tremendously. They're putting their money in a 401k. They believe that that's a great vehicle for wealth building. It's not. They're uh, reliant on getting up out of, your, you know, you are your own performing asset at that point, right? You get your own asset out of bed every morning, right? Put on, you go shower, shave, have your breakfast, drive two hours to and from work. You are your own performing asset. You have nothing else to show for it. And so most people believe that that is the safety net. And imagine not having to do that every day, but having uh, cash flow coming in every month that's taking care of you, where you don't have to get in the car and commute every day. 
Yeah. And that's a beautiful dream, right? But you're talking about changing um, like an internal, like ingrained belief system from childhood about what that is. And that typically for most people is a, is a really difficult process. And, and like, what are those, what are those first steps that were powerful for you? I mean, you kind of got thrown into it, right? Where it's like, we're not renewing your contract. Where do I go from here? And you kind of had to, it sounds like you had to like, all right, well, I'm going to do this instead because it's a pretty dynamic shift that somebody else kind of imposed on you in a way. Like, is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, I mean, even the first, so I bought two performing assets kind of right after that, right after I lost my job in Philadelphia, uh, at Good Day Philadelphia. And even then I still hadn't made that adjustment that you're talking about. So I had these two properties that I buy, uh, $50,000 properties after I renovated them. That was like kind of the total cost, you know, they're cash flowing like eight, eight fifty a month, roughly. And that's the bread or bread and butter of what I currently do. But even then, so I had these two assets, but still I hadn't made that shift that you're talking about, which is why I get so focused on when people are like, well, should I invest in mobile home parks, single family homes, commercial properties, billboards, whatever. They're just focused on the mechanics of it, right? So I bought those two properties. I was just focused on the mechanics of it, but it wasn't until I sat down and started sort of journaling and writing down sort of positive affirmations and understanding that I was worthy of this shift. Then things started to change for me. And see, that might sound a little, you know, frou-frou and, and, and weird for most people, but it absolutely is true that you've got to shift this idea around abundance, that if you are worthy of abundance, wealth consciousness flowing to you, then you create more of that. But if you're still ingrained in the old, I'm a, you know, you know, W2 world that you're not worthy of it, that then guess what? It's not going to, it's not going to come to you. You're going to end up hoarding money. You know, it's like the show hoarders. So when you start getting that cash, you're sort of the universe isn't going to look at you as being uh, a good steward of that money. And therefore opportunities, meeting people like you, you know, friends come into your life where you can start to do deals together. All of that will align itself. So to answer your question, I stood, I, I wake up in the morning early and I would start to journal a little bit about what I wanted my goals to look like, how I wanted the sort of the future version of myself to be. And I really had to undo and unwind all of these negative associations with money, these sort of memes around, uh, around wealth building. Uh, and they still pop up from time to time. You know, sometimes you'll, oh, that making that purchase or going out to dinner or something, you'll, I'll notice those old thoughts kind of float through, but instead of now inhibiting me, I just kind of smile at them, let them go. You know, uh, it's kind of funny how that works. Hey, well, it's a very interesting uh, piece of it, right? Is that how that, that all of the triggers that we have like still pop up no matter how far you get, how advanced you get. And like, our, you know, you say quote unquote like advanced, right? Really all that means is I've developed a new discipline to my mind about like what, how I'm training my mind, the patterns of my mind, how it's going to work. And right. people call that quote unquote advanced just because it's, uh, Really like a, a misnomer in a lot of ways, right? Because it's really just yeah. a discipline. Well, think about the four-minute mile, right? Here's a great example, right? No one could wrap their head around anyone running a four-minute mile. It just, you know, you couldn't do it, right? Until it was done. And then all of a sudden, all these people started seeing that as a possibility. I mean, it was just a fabrication of the brain. Really nothing changed. Nothing was altered. Pe you know, people weren't suddenly faster, you know? So, you know, it's just that now we saw that someone else could run a four-minute mile. And guess what? More people started to do it. 
It's phenomenal, right? Because then it like really what we're, I think we're delving into here is really saying, you know, maybe we're capped or uh, about the, at the ability of like our belief systems mm-hmm. that we oh, have about sure. ourselves and like what that's possible. And maybe that's when we're talking about things going bad, you know, quote unquote bad in our life is really a reflection of saying, man, I have a belief system that's running like somewhere in my software or my brain that's mm-hmm. not serving me. In some in some way, shape, or form, right? That either created like blind spot or created something else that allowed allowed this um, to to occur. So this is this this is really like a perfect segue into actually talking about what we got going on as like the thrust of the show um, into it, right? But I wanted to give you a chance to to respond to that before we jump in. Sure, absolutely. And kind of talking about your good deals and bad deals is 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 how it all comes together. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Clay, let's, let's jump into your, your bad deal. Do you want to, um, what's, what's the background that we need to know about, about this deal? Well, you know, most of the time I have a sort of a set pattern of how I acquire properties, right? I try to find off market properties that I can add value to that, uh, we can renovate and place a tenant in those properties, right? That's sort of what I've always done, it's been the key to my success. It's what we help you know, our clients do at Morris Invest. It's how we build financial freedom, right? It was the formula by which I got started. Those first two properties, I repeated with a third and then a fourth and then a fifth, right? Find a great off-market property that I can add value to and then place a tenant and get it cash flowing in a, in a, you know, in a good C and B class market. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, we had the opportunity through an investor kind of friend that brought me a package of properties uh, in a state where I wouldn't normally buy properties because of the higher taxes uh, in the state of New Jersey. So this deal kind of fell into my lap and it was a, a, a gentleman who was a retired, you know, a retired landlord, which are, you know, a lot of times my favorite people to buy from, right? Because they just, they probably managed it poorly. They were managing it themselves, which I never do. I use a property management company. They, they probably have the properties undervalued. They, they just, they want out, right? So this package came where he wanted to sell off packages of 10 of, he had like 40 properties and he wanted to sell 10 at a time. And he was retiring. He wanted to spend, I guess, his, his seasons with his wife in, in France. Really nice guy. And my wife kind of took it over and started uh, kind of working on this, this deal. So we were going to buy this 10-pack of his single-family homes. But they weren't really single families like I normally buy. That was mistake number one. They ended up being kind of joint, almost like duplexes. But in New Jersey, a duplex, it's weird. You know, if you go to like middle of you know, the country, a duplex you own the whole building, right? So you buy a duplex, it has two doors, and you, you buy that as one deed. Um, in New Jersey, you can find duplexes that are deeded separately. So, you know, number one and number two on the side, and two different people could own a section of that house, almost like a townhouse in a way. Mm-hmm. So slightly different setup. So number one, that, that was kind of the difference for me. That was a mistake. Uh, because I didn't know it. I didn't know it well. This wasn't something I was used to having sort of a joint roof. Now I've got to kind of get, you know, I've got to deal with a different roof. If this one was replaced differently than this, um, if I wanted to sell off a portion of it, I'd have to do that differently. So just some differences there. I then took the extra mistake of sort of listening to this landlord, right? The, and I should have paid more attention to the fact that he's a tired landlord. So he's getting out because he's tired of it. Instead, I just, he, I, I maybe sort of ignored the signs 
that he would collect the rent himself and he had great relationship with these tenants. He told us, you know, the tenants are worried now that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stepping out, but I'm going to make and assure a very easy transition over to you guys. I'm going to assure them that, you know, you're not going to kick them out and all this. They've been there many, many years and they love living there, right? So he was very hands-on. Well, I'm very hands-off with my real estate. I want my property management team to handle it. So that was mistake number two. Um, so we end up going through this process. We end up closing on this package of 10 properties and we worked with a property management company to get them turned over and everything was going to be handed over. Well, immediately right after closing, we had two, you know, two tenants kind of just bail. Also in our inspections, like everything looked pretty, you know, pretty decent. There was some deferred maintenance we were going to do on some of them. We should have been clear on exactly what that deferred maintenance was going to look like. We weren't, I think we just put too much trust in this tired landlord who was a super nice guy and I spent a lot of time talking with him and, you know, kind of going through it. But I should have paid much more attention to this deferred maintenance. I should have paid much more attention to the tenants he currently had in the property. And when we wanted, we started working with the property management company and they were trying to get new leases with these tenants with now a proper property management company. I think two of the tenants basically stopped paying and were, basically we're going to have, we had to go through eviction coming right out of the gate. And then the owner of the property kind of came back to us and said, I'm so sorry. And then we discovered there was a problem with one of the roofs and now we needed to replace a roof. You know, there was on and on and on this list of things that we could have nipped in the bud from the beginning. Why? Because it went out and around sort of my comfort zone and what I was used to. And I kind of just went with my feelings with this guy and I let some things slip through the cracks. Now on these properties, we've got 10 of them, three are in eviction, one of the section eight tenants is not paying, and our lawyer is now having to deal with that because they're, they're saying that there's the extra maintenance that needs to be performed on this property, and yet our lawyer is saying, no, it's not, this was all here, you can see from the inspection that this was tenant caused damage. So now we've got that to deal with, and now the section eight office has to go back and reassess it based on what was there before and what was tenant damage, and then so the remaining few properties still also need maintenance. Those are paying for these evictions. These are paying for the deferred maintenance. So basically making almost no money right now on these properties that should be cash flowing. 10 should have been full, fully rented with very little deferred maintenance. That should have been a home run of a deal. And instead, I'm basically bringing in nothing for cash flow on these. And so now we're, we're spending, we're sort of knee, knee deep in this particular portfolio, stabilizing it. Uh, as we speak. But again, it just goes to show you maybe shiny object syndrome. It's out of our wheelhouse. That should be a, a clear red flag, I think, to step back from it, take a deep breath and see if it's really something you want to grab or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there's, you know, there's probably a lot actually in, in, in this story. I mean, one of the, the key pieces that I'd look into it is, is, is first is, um, is that, is that typically a decision-making process that you go by? Like, do you typically go with your gut based upon the relationship that you have with the seller more than you look at the, the ob objectivity of the deal itself? Right. And this is one of those deals where I almost never have to deal directly with the seller. So this was a weird one because yeah, I was dealing with directly with the seller and I'm a very trusting guy by nature. So I think that that, 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 that extra layer of that face-to-face -face interaction uh, maybe had me looking the other way at some things that should have been red flags to me. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm thinking through this as listening to your stories about like, what is the belief system? You know, mm -hmm. what are like the belief systems that run that mask like that ability to be like, well, 
you know, from, from your, what you're talking about is saying like, I trust this guy. seems like a great guy, very earnest guy. I mean, he even came back to you after there were problems to tell you sorry and to talk to you about it. Right. Uh, right. Um, I doubt that he cut you a big check at that point to be like, Oh, let me pay for everything. That right. probably wasn't, didn't happen, you no. know, into it. Right. So no, um, he, he did take care of the roof because, you know, he felt that that was something that should have been addressed. And so he did take care of the roof. But yeah, the other things that have been popping up since then, since the close, you know, that's, that's on me, right? That's my own fault. I should have, uh, I thought we had more life in certain things and water heater and some other things. So we should, you know, but that's, that's rental real estate also. However, to have it all happen at once is my fault. Uh, I also was a little distracted, I think, with some other you know, with other business and other things I was working on. So I didn't put my full time attention and effort into this closing. And that's my own fault as well. Um, you know, paying attention to the numbers, paying attention to the return, the ROI, and what is that going to look like? Getting our true sense of, uh, of these tenants. I mean, honestly, to me, I think one of my big takeaways is I, I've never been a big fan of inherited tenants. Hmm. In my experience and the hundreds of deals that we've done when someone tells me, oh, yeah, it's already got an, you've got a tenant in there, inherited tenant, and I'm buying the property, chances, unless I can see a full tenant ledger and I can see that this person pays on time and there's an act, you know, there's a, a true and accurate lease on the property and this person pays on time, here's their banks, you know, the, all of those pieces are in place because, you know, we've heard horror stories, right? You, I'm sure you've heard them in the legal world, you know, faking tenant ledgers and, is this, you know, I know in the large multifamily space, that's a serious problem, right? You know, large tenant ledgers being faked. I've certainly heard horror stories where you've got a hundred unit apartment complex and how many of them are actually tenanted when you're selling the property, right? Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, I'm just not a big fan of the inherited tenant in single family. I'd rather, you know, clean it out, update it, get a, a proper tenant in there from my own property management team. So I have a full history there. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a nice tip, you know, to not really, a lot of people, I think, think about inherited tenants and always look at it as a safety net, mm -hmm. but like you don't actually, um, unless you have all that documentation, which almost nobody in that situation is going to have on the other side of like, what's the full the, all, yeah. all of the documentation around because just most landlords just typically aren't doing that kind of due diligence. Right. Well, and yeah, exactly. And you, you also know that tenants, let's just say, you know, Tenants aren't always the most trustworthy people in the world, right? And so when you're transferring property management to a new property management company, a lot of times tenants see that as an opportunity, right? They see that as an opportunity to maybe skip out on rent, to not pay rent, to say, yeah, there's a bunch of problems with this house. I'm not going to pay rent this month until you, new owner, gets it taken care of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can say, well, what, 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 what? No, wait a second. You know, you were paying rent consistently now that I'm the new owner and the, this property manager has shifted over. You're telling me there's a handrail that's broken. I'm sure, you know, we had that happen on a property recently where everything was fixed, switched property management companies and this tenant, which had done their own tenant damage. They broke us vanity. They broke a hallway railing that doesn't just break, you know, You're unless right. So they wanted to blame it on that this is, you know, this house is in disrepair, but what they didn't want to admit is this is your disrepair and should come out of your security deposit. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that's, and that's one of the more complex kinds of conversations that you have to have to be a little bit tougher with people, I think. And right. I was just wondering in here, Clayton, let's say that you ended up like, you know, it sounded like this is one of those situations where you're jumping into like a new asset, 
um, you know, class, a new type of deal, but it's not that much. I mean, it's different, right? But it's mm-hmm. not like you went from single family homes to apartment complexes. It was a, is a tweak on, on a piece of real estate um, with that. But, yeah. but even in that context, like that was enough to throw you from your typical deal structure to a new deal structure. Um, and I got to tell you from doing a lot of these interviews with people, like that's, that's one of the most common stories that we get, which is where, what happened with the bad deal is like, well, I, I went out of my lane. I had a lane that I knew how to make money in and I went out of my lane and I'm always, and they're like, I shouldn't have got out of my lane. I'm like, wait a minute. It can't be the case that we never go out of our lane because it's when we go out of our lane is when we find the new opportunities and that's when we grow and we've learned new we learn new angles to be able to make money after it. So there's got to be a way that when we're changing lanes, that we're doing it in the right way. And, and I was wondering if you're from your take on mm-hmm. it, man, when I change, when I'm looking into the next deal that I'm going to do, where I'm going to be changing lanes. Have you thought much about like, you know, or, or does something come to you now in this moment about yeah. here's what I would want to do differently the next time I'm changing lanes? Sure. I think you bring up a great question, a great point, which is that you, if you're going to change lanes, you've got to be all in on that lane change, right? Think about just driving a car. If you're changing lanes and you're going 80 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour on the freeway, and you're going to change lanes, you better be checking blind spots, right? You better be looking over your shoulder. I can't stand when people just change lanes and just do this, you know, just drift over and they don't look over their shoulder or they don't look over this shoulder and check their mirrors. If they drift slow enough, everybody else will avoid them. Right. Let's be the belief they're running. <laughs> Right. So you change lanes. You've got to make sure you're fully, you're not texting. You're not, you know, talking to someone on the phone. You're really paying attention to that lane change because you have to use all of your faculties in order for that to happen. And I made the mistake of not using all my faculties. I was distracted. I thought, ah, this is fairly similar to what I normally do. Yeah, it's New Jersey. I don't normally invest in New Jersey because of higher taxes, but this was a good area. Taxes are slightly lower. It's near a military base. This will make sense. This is a good package. Let's just do it. You know, um, there were things that like we should have paid attention to that I kind of just looked the other way because I was distracted when I was changing that lane. So you're absolutely right. Growth comes from discomfort, but growth doesn't come from being distracted. So you need to be fully invested in that discomfort and sort of surrender to it. You know, if I was going through this process in the beginning, I could have gone back and said, okay, it seems like these tenants are not going to be terribly happy with us switching over. I want to really dial this in, making sure that we can get these properties, you know, uh, these things uh, properly stabilized beforehand. Let's make sure that we can get new leases with these people. Let's make sure all these things are dialed in with the Section 8 tenant. Let's make sure that the roof is okay. There's all these things that should have been taken care of ahead of time uh, to the best of our ability. Uh, And because I was distracted, uh, that's, that's what happened. You're right. So it wasn't much of a different asset class for us, but it was definitely, um, not keeping our eyes focused on the paper and the task at hand. Yeah. Well, and like there's, there's another piece of this too, which is like even recognizing that you're necessarily even changing lanes, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's probably in itself a difficult piece of this puzzle is even like the awareness of saying like, okay, this is something that I need to, to pause about. And, and, and wonder about sometimes I find um, whether it's an investing or just running my company that um, that it, it's like the, the speed of everything that's going on around me means that no, no one thing gets a hundred percent attention right. into what's happening. Right. It's always about 80% and then I have to pass it off to other people or make a decision on it because a hundred percent information is really, it's very expensive to get to that point of what's going on. So I was, I wonder if that's, you know, 
one of the one of the, the key takeaways from 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 this lesson is about uh, is really being tight on like really narrowly defined on like this is what I do and then mm-hmm. anything outside of that maybe make sure that I maybe have the space for it maybe pick up a co-pilot you know that says like if I were to be investing with somebody that was in New Jersey that even had like a ten percent stake or five percent stake you know into it that they would have been all over all of these issues because they had the time to invest it or invest into it where you didn't or something. I don't know. Great point. I mean, we've got right now we're working on a deal that's totally outside my wheelhouse. It's a land development deal um, with, you know, subdividing uh, and it's, we're really excited about it. Um, and we know the area really well. We know the upside and we've been talking to a ton of people and I've partnered with uh, some folks who have done a ton of these. They're experts at it, you know, and I've literally said to them, treat me like a five-year-old. I don't know what I'm doing in this and I'm not going to pretend that I do, but I'm all in on, on learning it. You know, I'm walking the property. I've been meeting with the, you know, the perk test guys. I've been getting the wetlands delineate, all these things. Like I had no idea about, right. Once you go through that process and you really defer to those experts, I'm learning them. It's like a a college course right now. Uh, But you've got to, you've got to have a mentor when you're going through that, that process. And the same way that when I started buying single families, and became the backbone of me, you know, building financial freedom and helping others do it. I had a mentor, you know, I had someone who showed me the formula and where to buy, how to do it, uh, what to look for from a return on investment, what type of neighborhood, not buying a class properties that are a class headaches, not buying D class or F class, you know, how to find that sweet spot. So I had to learn all of that. Uh, but if you go in there pretending like, you know, everything and you know, the guys, right? Like at a cocktail party, it's the guy that, he can never learn from you, right? He wants to tell you everything he's done. He's never the type to learn. Those are the people that you know are full of it. Um, you, you don't want to surround yourself. You don't be like that guy. Just walk in there and be like an empty cup, you know, and just say, hey, fill me up. I don't know. Like I just started playing golf again after many, many years. And I met with the instructor a few weeks ago. And because my son started playing, he's eight. And so we both got kind of back into it. And I, I used to love playing. I used to play every day and I haven't played for years. So the instructor said, okay, let's see what you, you know, what, what do you want to accomplish here? Let's just see what you've got. So we started and I said, you know, I want you to honestly treat me like I don't know anything. Pretend like I've never picked up a club before and treat me like an empty cup. I'm not going to walk in here with some stuff that I was hacking at 10 years ago. Pretend like I know nothing. And we started from that basis point and now I'm playing golf like crazy and I'm having a blast doing it because, you know, he just, he was a lot, he, I would give him that latitude to just teach me from the ground up. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's such a great way of trying to develop a mentorship into it. Uh, and in this case, like you're paying that guy to like teach you. Right. And a lot right. of times they're professional mentors. A lot of times these are free relationships, but I've seen people develop mentor relationships with JV partners that have become mm-hmm. very successful, much like the ones you're doing now. And it, um, and I think that's like, that's a probably like one of the key pieces that I've seen time and time again is that, Anytime people are trying to pick something up that's new or whether we're trying to, you know, change a lane, have something that's pretty similar to what something we've done before, it's having a relationship with at least one other person that's experienced that field that we can lean on um, is the number one driver for success. As, as I'm saying this, I'm like thinking about my own company, about being like, man, you know, we're, we're developing like some new stuff that we're burgeoning on and I haven't partnered with anybody on that piece yet of this new developed piece of technology. Um, and so right. it's like kind of hitting me, like it hitting me home right now about like what's going on with some of the new pushes that we're making into it. 
Um, so I, I just think that's a, that's a great lesson overall. And if, if you were, we're going to leave um, the listeners with today with something that you think is like the crux of, of one thing that they would walk away from to remember uh, as a lesson from, from your story here today, Clayton, um, what, what do you think that would be? Well, don't be too proud to ask the right questions, I think is, a, is something I haven't really thought about or articulated much, but I think you bring it up great. And I think to hit it home is this idea that if you want to sort of geometrically grow your business, like one of my mentors, one of my teachers, Jay Abraham, one of the great marketing gurus of all time, um, you know, one of the things he talks about is, you know, 50% of something is better than 0%, right? So if you can partner with a company that knows what they're doing or a, or a JV partner that really could guide you and they make 50% or they make a portion of it, but you, guess what? If you tried to do it on your own, you'd make zero, right? Because you don't know what you're doing. So imagine uh, partnering with someone that can help you. Don't be too proud to ask the questions you don't know. So when I get on a call sometimes with my team, uh, or my digital team, I'll say, you know, talk to me like I'm a five-year-old right now. Pretend like I don't know what you're talking about because I probably don't. And don't be afraid to talk that way because you're going to learn some amazing things if you're not too proud. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think that the pride really gets you nowhere like all the <laughs> time, right? It, like, it, it doesn't even get you respect from other people. Right. Other people will pick up on the pride and then they'll just think you're full of it. Right. The guy that's at the cocktail party, right? That wants to tell you about all the great, he's like, oh, I made all these millions of dollars in investing and it's like, I'm this and that. And the other thing I'm like, that's somebody I would never probably want to do business with. Right. Like there's something off that you think that you need to act that way. But like the, we really learn to, like we learn the most and we trust people the most actually by asking questions and then engaging people on that level of like sharing information with each other based upon it. And, and the only reason I bring that up is for the, you know, I know that some people would be listening to the show and they're like, man, I'm afraid to like actually go up and tell people because I don't actually know anything. And it would be one thing to be, you know, Clayton Morris and be like, treat me like a five-year-old and people are like, well, you've already built so much. Like right. you're really just saying that to, you know, kind of diffuse the situation and get people to, you know, break things down um, easy for me. But for people that actually like don't know anything, that can be really difficult because it's a shot to be like, what's my value and worth if I don't know anything and I'm talking to you about it. Um, and that can be one of those belief systems, I think, that kind of runs and uh, definitely runs in me uh, to some degree in some circumstances. And I'm sure it runs in a lot of people, but they're but I just wanted to, to remind everybody in that is saying that there's value inside of just being um, open and honest and connecting with other people and asking questions for them. And that most people really enjoy the process of sharing what they know with others. And it's actually a gift to somebody else to give them that opportunity to share with you to help you. Um, we know from our just human psychology is that, um, that the, the greatest thing that develops to our own personal happiness is how we give to other people. Mm -hmm. And so by asking people those questions of like, teach me like as if I don't know anything and, and just to ask them for help is actually a gift to them to allow them to be able to help you and, and try to, if you can wrap your mind around that, it can be difficult to do, but if you can wrap your mind around that, then it becomes like, Oh, I'll give this person another opportunity to help me. And people out there will have this opportunity to help us. And uh, I think we can, we can use that to, to our advantage instead of thinking that we're bad for asking people for help. Um, right. I, I know that your company helps a ton of people and gets people fired up. I mean, I was on your podcast, um, you know, a, a while ago and I was blown away by the, um, 
hearing all of the people that listen to your podcast call up that I talked to. I mean, it must have been a hundred people, I feel like. Wow, that's I must great. have called up into it. But the level of inspiration that you give people into um, rethinking about their ability to achieve financial freedom and laying out, here's the frameworks by which you do it, and here's the tools and equipping them to be able to do that. It's such a beautiful thing that I think that you're fundamentally changing people's lives as much as you are doing it from a financial perspective, you're doing it from a philosophical as well as mental and belief system perspective and giving them like real quantifiable achievement where they wouldn't otherwise um, have the strength or the know-how or the, um, the courage to, to do it if they were left up to their own. Um, well, and I only, yeah, I just want to say that I, I never had an opportunity to tell you that before, but I think that's really, Thanks. really great that you've built that um, and you spent your, you know, your life creating that for people. Um, in terms of, you know, just kind of wrapping up here, Clayton, in terms of, you know, um, people wanting to connect with you and the people, the types of people that you're looking to connect with now, um, what's the best way for them to do that? And, and who, what, who's the ideal people that should be reaching out to you? Sure. I mean, if you're a fan of podcasts, you're listening to this. I mean, we have just, it's very generically named podcast, just called the investing in real estate podcast with Clayton Morris. And I hope you, you know, come over and check that out. And uh, we talk about a lot of family planning around family, you know, running your business, your family as a business and how to you know, do wealth building around real estate investing. Um, that's what we've done and help people with financial freedom. So that's a great way to connect. Um, another great way is to just come to our website, morrisinvest.com, just book a call with us and, you know, see if uh, turnkey real estate is a solution for you. We'll jump on our team. will jump on the phone with you for 30 minutes or so and get a sense of what your freedom number looks like. You know, are you ready to invest? We can help you with that whole process and uh, taking next steps to buy that first rental property. So those are probably the best places to connect with me. That's awesome. Clayton. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. And um, as always, everybody, this is Scott Royal Smith. I'm the host here at the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, the one-stop shop for everything legal tax and business for real estate investors anywhere in the country. Thanks very much uh, for everybody for tuning in, and we'll see you guys again soon. Awesome. Good show, Clayton. Thanks for- awesome. uh, You bet, man. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it, man. I guess we'll have uh, my staff actually, will, I guess we'll get send out- all the stuff around publication, whatever. Okay, cool. Right now, social teams with all that. Yeah, we'll get it promoted everywhere. We'll have my team put it out everywhere. Yeah. Cool, man. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for uh, carving out some time and I appreciate you letting me come on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was serious about what I said like on the show and I wanted oh, to ramp you. it up there into the very end of it to be well, able to, uh, to, to do it. So I hope we get a chance to work together on a, f a few things moving forward. Yeah, um, absolutely. Could we get to go and go get this Yeah, let's stuff circle going. up here as the fall unfolds and see what we can uh, collaborate on. Yeah, that'd be cool. We're pushing out a ton of new, um, ton of new information around like books around the asset protection pieces and whatnot that really resonated really strong with your audience before. So I'm, I, I took that experience and I'm organizing materials and I'm like, okay, well, here's actually the education components that are really needed for those people and to this way to be like, here's the 95% of information you actually need to know about legal for cool. your situation into it. So I think that'll be, that'd be cool. I'll run it by you whenever we get it done with a, with a primer and like some the first three chapters, uh, but those are going to get finalized here shortly. So you can take awesome. a look at that and see if that's the right jive, but I'd appreciate your feedback on it. If you have the, have a moment to, to take a look at it just to see if like, is that the right tone and the right type of energy that really resonates uh, with the, like the emotional side of what, you know, all this stuff is about.
Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, we're launching the Financial Freedom Academy at the probably end of October. Cool. Um, it'll be a course on financial freedom, uh, Natalie and I. So yeah, maybe we can. Wow. Yeah, well, let us know. Happy yeah. to have, yeah, let's swap it up. We can get materials going, do some cross-promotion stuff. Happy to share it with my base as cool. well to promote it up for you. Yeah, shoot, maybe shoot you guys. If you if we can get um, like an early sneak peek or access to it or whatever, I'd be happy to shoot like a video testimonial of it, of like my review of it, and then help push that out so you'd have like another voice in the industry from an attorney and a real estate investor giving it like a soft endorsement. I would love that. Yeah. And vice versa too. So please let, yeah, we'll circle up on that. I'll make sure I'll make a note and make sure Kelly, um, we can circle up on that. That'd be awesome. That's all for this bad beats episode. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the real estate nerds podcast. Did you see yourself in any part of that story? I know I did. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in the sleeping masses of what they need to know and what we all need reminders of do your good deed for the day. Thanks, and I'll see you again soon.